Genesis chapter 3, so Adam and Eve, they sinned and there was no denying it. For them, Adam and Eve, to try to deny their sin would be just about as pathetic, just about as uh, a feeble attempt as something that happened about 10 years ago when my son uh, Joel and our family were at the beach. And I asked Joel, he said, gave, he was okay with me showing this, this video clip of him about 10 years ago at the beach. And I'll just say I had a suspicion, okay, something was giving me this suspicion that uh, little Joel was eating sand. Okay? So take a look at this. Uh, Joel, you've been eating sand? Um, I think you have been eating sand. No, I'm not hungry. You're not hungry? Not hungry for sand? No, I'm not hungry for sand. <laughs> so I don't know, I just I still have that suspicion. He may have been eating sand. Uh, I know he denied it. Uh, so we're looking at Adam and Eve, and they had sinned against the Lord, and uh, there, there was no denying it. We're going to see the aftermath here, what happens. And this message that we're looking at today called The Fall, even though this is spring, doing a message called The Fall, I know it's kind of, uh, kind of confusing, uh, but this is the fall of mankind. This is uh, mankind, this world that we live in that was created good by the Lord, declared to be very good. And what happened to it? And obviously something happened because we look in the world and it is not the way that you'd think uh, a, a good God would create a world. We look at our own hearts and we think, what is going on here? And the truth is, we live in a world that was created good, but something has happened to it. It has been damaged, it has been, it has been wrecked, it has been affected by sin. So let's read together. Uh, let's start at the beginning of chapter 3, even though we looked at a few of these verses last time, but just to get the, the running start here. Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other the beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And we know that this was actually Satan working through this, this serpent, this snake. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So right off the bat, questioning God. Did God really say? Tactic that Satan still does today. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had very clearly told Adam, You may not eat of this one. You can eat of all these others. There's so many. We don't have hundreds, thousands, so many trees, so many options, good options. And there was one that the Lord told them, Don't eat of this. Today you eat of it, you are going to, to die. And Satan put their focus on this one thing that God had said, not this one. And now it's all they wanted to do. Again, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now moving into new verses. Verse 8, And they heard 
the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the section that we're going to be talking about today. We'll be continuing on with that next week as we continue to go through this. But plenty to talk about here this morning. So talking about this, uh, the, the fall, the first human sin. So looking back at verse 6 again, we see here, and Adam and Eve commit the first human sin. And there was already Satan, so we know that uh, there was some rebellion that had taken place. But within humanity, this was the first sin. And this is what uh, introduces death, dysfunction, disease, all these things into our world because specifically Adam sinned against the Lord. He rebelled. Now I have a picture again of an apple up here, but again, the Bible doesn't specifically, it doesn't say it was an apple. Uh, we don't know that. And possibly the reason that people uh, think it's an apple is that in the Middle Ages when they spoke Latin, uh, the word for apple in Latin is malum, and the word for evil is malus. And so there may have been a play on words that was going on there with the, uh, the evil apple, uh, the, the malus malum, and this may be why people think the fruit was an apple. But the Bible doesn't actually say. We can see it was something that was, was good-looking. It looked like it would be really good to eat, like it would be nutritious, it would be healthy. Just God told them, this is not for you. This is not one that you were supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. But I want to look to at the temptation that Satan uses against Eve and that we see in verse 6. In the message from last time, we saw some of the tactics that Satan had, questioning God's word, questioning God's goodness, implying that God had held something back from them, that God, he just doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to hog it all for himself. But also notice in uh, verse 6 the approach that the serp what, what, what happens with Eve as she is, she's contemplating this. The serpent has spoken to her, and now she's, she's thinking about this. What should, what should she do? In the New Testament, there is a verse in 1 John 2.16. Let me read this to you. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And many people have noted that you look at uh, what's said in that passage, 1 John 2.16, and it lists basically three different kind of avenues uh, that our temptation comes to us. As sometimes, you know, through the devil, he's not the only one, we don't need the devil to lead us into sin. Uh, on this side of Genesis 3, there's enough sin in our hearts to lead us into sin. There's also the world around us that tempts us and uh, John was saying, these are things that are in the world that tempt us and pull us away from him. But we notice it says three things. The lust, and lust means desire, desire of the flesh. 
and think of so many things that are uh, designed to appeal to, uh, to the body, uh, that appeal to, to the, the, the senses, uh, food, uh, sexuality, pleasure, uh, comforts, different things, and how often those are avenues of that, com- that temptation comes to us. It talks about the lust of the eyes. And I think what is uh, here is things that we see and we want to acquire because we see them. And so we see something and it's like, I got to have this. I, I want to have this. And then the pride of life, or as the NASB puts it, the boastful pride of life. This isn't some kind of good healthy pride. This is a pride that puffs us up, that, that we want to be large and in charge. And so when we think of uh, how temptation comes to us, three common avenues. Now think of... Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and notice what happens here with the, with the first temptation and with Eve sinning there as well. And it says, first of all, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so she sees it and she sees, this, it looks like this would be good to eat. That looks enjoyable. And notice this is the, uh, the lust of the flesh. Uh, bodily desires, uh, going the wrong way, seeking after something that is not within the limits. There were, remember again, there's plenty of ways for Adam and Eve uh, to have food, to have good, you know, delicious food, but they were looking at the one thing that was off limits to them. So as she's looking at this and pondering, she's looking at that food, focusing on it, and she says, it looks good to eat. I'd like to have this. And it says, and that it was a delight to the eyes. So this was good looking too. You see the lust of the flesh, you also see the lust of the eyes, that it was, uh, I want to have this. This is aesthetically pleasing. And then, that it was, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. That if we have this, I'll be wise like God. Adam, we'll be wise like him. We'll know uh, good from evil. We'll be able to determine and tell this you know, for ourselves or whatever this is. We'll have this quality that we think God is reserving this for himself and we want to have this too. Notice how that's part of the pride, that they wanted to be like God. That's similar to what seems to be this sin that traces back to the devil himself, wanting to, to rise up uh, above where God had put him to make himself uh, like the Most High. And so I just point this out because uh, Satan's tactics, he is an innovator, yes, and he has had a few thousand years more of expertise in doing this, but some of the same tactics are being recycled over and over. And so watch in your life for these three areas, these three avenues for temptation to come to you. And don't just focus on one, because you focus on one and say, oh, I I got this one, fine. Nothing's coming at me this avenue. It's going to sneak up on you one of the other ways and just knock you out from the back. So you have to look at these different things, because I think they really do capture pretty much all the different ways that uh, temptation comes to us from one way or another. It's also interesting to think of when Jesus was tempted. Remember when Jesus was on earth and he's out uh, in the wilderness, he's fasting for 40 days, and the devil comes, Satan, personally and tempts him. And you think about the temptations that he had in, in, the, uh, in the desert. And one, he tempts him to, uh, he's hungry, he's fasting, to, to make some bread and to eat that. And so you have uh, something that's related to the lust of the flesh. He points him to all these kingdoms and says, everything that you see, this could be yours. 
lust of the eyes. And he tells them, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this temple. You know, the, the Lord's going to take care of you. And look, what a great show this will be to everyone when the Lord catches you midair, basically. Um, you know, trying to appeal to his, his pride to, to do something. He was the son of God, but he was not to be showing it off in that way at that time. So it's interesting to see both in Genesis and in Jesus' temptation, uh, these three avenues of temptation that go all the way back from the beginning and that we also see in 1 John 2, 16. So watch from these. The other thing I want to point out from verse 6, we talked about this a little bit, but notice where Adam was at least in verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That it is wrong to just pin all the blame of this on Eve. Well, you know, she ate and she's the reason that, uh, you know, we are plunged into sin. First of all, the Bible always pins it on Adam, not Eve. Okay, that's something we're going to keep mentioning because there's, that's very important. Uh, but also, Adam was with her. Now, it says at, in verse 6, he is with her. Uh, question is, exactly when was he with her? Was he with her the whole time during the temptation? Or did he join her at some time? Uh, one thing to notice, too, is that when the serpent is talking to Eve, uh, the parts that we saw in the previous verses, and he says, he uses the word you, uh, he is using the plural there that's in Hebrew. So he's basically saying, you and Adam, you're, you're not going to die. Uh, you two, y'all, uh, it's saying it in that way. So that could be another indication that Adam was with her uh, from the beginning, even when tempted. Now, as I look at this, I would say that it's unclear exactly when Adam was with her. Different options could be that Adam was not with Eve when the serpent originally uh, spoke to her, but that uh, he definitely was with her when she made the decision to eat. Now, it could be someone speculated that Adam was like, he was watching, seeing this happen, maybe even listening in. I don't know about that. Or it could be that Adam was with Eve through the whole thing. But no matter what, the big question is, why didn't he stop her? God had given these instructions very clearly to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. And he had, it uh, looks, communicated them to Eve somehow. Uh, but why didn't he stop her? Even if he wasn't with her when the serpent talked to her, uh, why didn't he stop her when she was about to eat? And if he was with her the whole time, why didn't he shut this thing down from the beginning when the serpent is approaching Eve? So there are faults here with Adam as well. And you have to wonder what was going on with him, what was going on in his heart. Now, I've actually heard some people speculate, uh, some people really take the Bible and twist it in weird directions. I mean, there's some people that talk about that, you know, the, the fall, this was a good thing. This is man choosing independence from God and choosing, you know, self-enlightenment. Well, okay, that's really unbiblical, and uh, that would be the, well, let's just say satanic way of viewing this. I've heard other people take a romantic view of this and say, well, oh, Adam, he found out that, you know, Eve, uh, she had eaten uh, the, the fruit uh, and, you know, so she was, she was doomed and he had to make a choice and out of love because he just couldn't bear to be apart from Eve. He decided that he would, he would seal his fate and go with her. And they present this like this is this romantic gesture. 
I would say that's not romantic, that's idolatry. Even if that did happen that way, if he was thinking, I just can't bear to be without Eve, he's choosing a person rather than the Lord. I mean, that would be straight out idolatry. But I don't think that's what happened at all. I think Adam still thought they were both going to be okay when they ate. I think he thought that they would, they would be fine. I think he disbelieved God and thought, I want the good that I think is gonna, going to come from this. And maybe if he even let Eve be the, the guinea pig and she ate and nothing immediately happened right then. And then he goes to eat and it's then when Adam eats that we notice everything changes. Their, their disposition, the way they see the world, I think the world changed because now sin officially entered the world when Adam, who is the, the representative leader for humanity, that he rebelled against the Lord. And then at that time, that's when all the pain, all of the dysfunction, sickness, death in this world, all traces back to that one moment. And it traces back to that one sin where Adam and Eve, and specifically Adam, broke this world where the fall happened. Sometimes people ask, well, what was the big deal? Why was it really such a big deal? I mean, there are kids that will get into the cookie jar, and they're not supposed to eat the cookies, they eat the cookies. And we don't say, well, the penalty for that, you weren't supposed to eat the cookie, is that everyone dies. Uh, but we're going to see that that ends up being the, the penalty, not just for Adam and Eve, but it introduces death into the, the whole world and just everything that happens later on. And, you know, pain, suffering, wars, holocaust, all these uh, ramifications that come from this. Why was it really such a big deal? Well, even for Adam himself, we have to think, what's actually going on in Adam's heart when he chose to do this? Was it just about there was this fruit and God was saving it? It wasn't ultimately about the fruit. But what was going on in Adam's heart when he made this decision? And I think some of the things that he was thinking or that was going on deep inside him, he was thinking, I know better than God. I'm the one that can really decide to do this. God is holding out on me. That he seemed like he was, he was all good, but doesn't seem that way because he's holding out what is really good to me. He's thinking, I want autonomy. I want to be my own law. I want to be my own king. And by doing that, it means saying that God is not king, that I get to be the actual king. I want to be the one to make my own rules. And ultimately, therefore, in all of this, saying, I deserve to take God's place. I deserve to take his role. I want his job. And I'm, by my decision, taking this over. At the core, also, this, this original sin, I mean, was unbelief. Not believing truth about God. Not believing uh, in God's that goodness. Uh, his lordship. The opposite of faith. Think of the importance of faith in the Bible and uh, this unbelief. This is at the beginning of this. And this caused disobedience and that is rebellion. This is rebellion against God. Like how R.C. Sproul calls it cosmic treason. And it really is. The rejection of the goodness and the lordship of God. Think of what God had put together in the beginning. Because the Lord is, is walking with them they have fellowship with him. They know him. And God is the greatest good. He is the greatest treasure that any of us could have. And we are here on this earth. We live and breathe for the purpose of we are here to glorify God. And the way that that happens ultimately is uh, not just by 
um, creating monuments or uh, making sound waves go through the air a certain way as we sing, but it's what is happening in our hearts as we treasure him in our hearts. And God had set up this beautiful system where God, as the metaphorical center of the universe, uh, was, was there and humanity could enter into his joy and focus on him. And God would receive all of the glory and humanity would receive all of the joy because finding our joy, our treasure in him is the best thing for us. It was a beautiful thing. But by Adam's uh, choice, by their sin, it just wrecks all of that saying this God is not good. This God is not the ultimate treasure. He is not to be trusted. He is not to be believed. He is not Lord. We are. And just throws this whole plan completely off. And that's why the sin is such a big deal. Adam's rebellion against God that, that literally broke the world. The sin that, that shattered God's original design for all of humanity. Now, we are going to see this doesn't take God by surprise. And he has something that's not just a backup plan, but he has a bigger plan of what he's going to do. In a way that he is going to manifest his glory in a deeper way than we would even know if Adam and Eve had never sinned. In a way that we, will, that we know and that you know even now as someone who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That even the, the unfallen angels would never ever know. They could know it by looking, but you and I can know the love of God personally to know what it means that God died on the cross for you and to know that joy. But Adam and Eve, they sin, and we see verses 7 through 10 that they immediately, they feel shame because of what they did. Let's read these verses once again it says then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Sin causes guilt, which causes shame, which causes us to want to run and hide from God. Let's look at this. Sin, it causes guilt. And that's just uh, there's feelings of guilt, and some people think the biggest thing that you need is to get rid of your feelings of guilt and to realize there's nothing to be guilty about. But the reality is we are guilty. Now, if there's some kind of false guilt, that's something else. But the truth is there's enough real guilt for each of us to deal with. And sin causes guilt. When we rebel against God, we, we are guilty before him. And therefore, we are objectively guilty. And therefore, there's something also that is appropriate to have uh, an acknowledgement of that, to, to feel guilty. The problem is not uh, guilt when we are guilty. The problem is how do we respond to that guilt. And so many respond to it in the wrong way because one of the worst things that people want to do is feel guilty and so they will find some way to, to cover that guilt for themselves, to try and absolve themselves of this. We're going to see Adam and Eve, they try to uh, sow fig leaves to, to cover their shame, to take care of it themselves. And they try to see they shift the blame. Uh, think of the things that people do today to try and, and 
make it so they don't feel these feelings of guilt. But sin does cause guilt. And you see, they immediately knew that they were guilty. They recognized, oh no, we are... Here, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They were no longer naked and unashamed, like it said in the beginning, the last verse of chapter 2, but now they were naked and, and they were ashamed of this. I think before, they were able to be naked and unashamed because they were innocent, they were good. They were able to look at themselves uh, in the way that God had created them and they knew that everything was right in the world, but now it was different. And so I think they were both, they were literally naked, but also uh, naked before God in that they felt the guilt and they felt exposed, they felt embarrassed by their sin. So sin causes guilt, Guilt causes shame. When we're guilty, people don't want to feel that guilt. It is an awful thing to, to feel. And so they tried to remedy this themselves. It says in verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, trying to deal with this themselves. And we're going to see God doesn't view this as actually solving the problem. And God is going to have to do something himself to actually deal with the problem, uh, not with the flimsy fig leaves that they try to do. In our world today, when people, deep down everyone knows that they're guilty, and the way they try to deny that, we try to cover ourselves with different types of fig leaves. Uh, whether it's our good works or social activism or uh, the right social media profile or who knows what it is. And people find these ways to, to try and cover their their, their guilt and their shame that they're feeling in themselves. They made themselves, uh, let's say, fig leaves. I don't know how long this took. You know, I imagine uh, with Eve, it you know, probably took her a long time to pick out what she wanted to wear. Uh, <clears throat> but then we see here that they heard the sound of the Lord God. It says, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so this is what's called a theophany. It's the first one. We see other times in Scripture, too. This is different than the incarnation. Okay, the incarnation is in the New Testament when uh, the Son of God actually becomes a human being. So Jesus Christ, you know, uh, since he was conceived in the virgin womb, is fully God and fully human, completely actually a human being. You know, uh, not just in body, but in soul, spirit, just every part of him was also human, but also fully God. A theophany often happens in the Old Testament, and this is a, a physical appearance of God, but it's not God actually becoming a human being. But he was manifesting himself uh, in some sort of human-like way uh, in order to interact with uh, humans. And we see it other places in the Old Testament. Sometimes they think they're angels at first, and then it's some kind of a, uh, you recognize that it is the Lord. Uh, so here, the Lord is uh, coming to them, being with them in this uh, Cool of, the, uh, cool of the day, this time where they could be together, have fellowship. And think of the fellowship, this probably wasn't the first time. Think of the fellowship that mankind was created to have with God. And that is the ultimate tragedy of sin. We think of the, what it does in our hearts and our world, but the ultimate tragedy is that it, it breaks that fellowship that we're meant to have with God and separates us from him. And that's ultimately what spiritual death is being separated from the Lord God. So the Lord appears, he's looking for them, and 
they, they hear them and they go to, to hide because they're uh, feeling shame and shame makes them want to, to run and hide from God. So again, sin causes guilt, guilt causes shame, and shame causes us naturally to want to run and hide from God, to get away from him, to, to try to not be seen, uh, to try and uh, put him out of our mind because it's, it's too much for us to, to want to bear feeling guilty before God, feeling that shame. It's bad enough having that at our heart, but to have God right there. And very foolishly, they think they can do this. Shame causes us to, uh, to run and hide from God. We need to recognize it. It's why people don't go to church, okay? It's why people don't read their Bibles. It's why people don't want to oftentimes talk to Christians, no matter how actually nice you are to them, because it is, it's poking at this thing that's in their heart and causing them to, to feel and, and experience the shame that comes from guilt. And instead of running to the one that can actually take away their guilt and shame, people run away from what can actually help them. Verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now notice the Lord addresses Adam, again, because he's the, the federal head, you know, the representative leader, the one with the ultimate responsibility. So the Lord talks to to him, even though Eve was the one that, that ate first, and asks him, where are you? You know, I've actually heard of uh, Bible teachers that have looked at that verse that says, where God asks, where are you? And have said, I've heard so many professors, I've read it in books, that the reason, the real reason why God asks, where are you, is because, hold on, God didn't know where they were. What do you think of that? I'm seeing some shaking of heads. <laughs> yeah, God is all-knowing. And there are some people that have uh, believed a, a newer teaching called open theism, that God doesn't know the future. And I think that's wrong, a very, very wrong, and that's messed up. But they would still say that God knows the present perfectly. And so to really say God doesn't know where Adam and Eve is, that would mean he's not even omniscient enough to know the, the, the present perfectly. And yet, I've heard people claim this. Uh, <clears throat> as uh, Mike Whitmer, a professor at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, a friend of ours, uh, I heard once put it, hey, there were only two people in the world at this time. Uh, if God couldn't keep a track of them, he has no idea about you. <laughs> no, God knew fully well where they were. So why is he, ans why is he asking, you know, where are you? This is the same reason I asked Joel in that video, like, Joel, have you been eating sand? You know, I knew full well. I mean, the evidence was all over his lips. Uh, but I'm asking him to see, what will he say? Will he fess up to this? Will he admit what he's, what he's done? And so God is calling out to Adam and Eve. They're, they're hiding. And I imagine this, I mean, remember as parents, you're playing hide-and-go-seek with the kids, and they go to hide, and they're hiding behind the curtains, and it's super obvious where they are. You know, there's big balls, their feet are sticking out. You know, they're giggling and making noise. Uh, God knows full well where they are. He's trying to draw them out. You know, in the same way, God wants to draw you out. Wherever you're hiding from God, if that's what you're doing, you're not doing a really good job of it. Okay, there's no actual hiding from God. And so you might as well just respond. You might as well just come out of hiding because he already knows. He already, he already sees you. 
but he's asking this of Adam and Eve because he's trying to give them the, the chance to come out and to respond in the right way. And Adam, verse 10 says, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Again, hiding from God. You can't hide from God. You just can't. Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from God by skipping church. You can't hide from God by closing your Bible. Okay, you can't hide from God by covering your ears and just pretending he doesn't exist. Uh, he is there and he knows that you are there. And as uncomfortable as it might be, just recognize you cannot hide from God. And it's the last thing you want to do. To, to run and hide from the one that can actually take away your guilt. The one that can actually take away your shame. And that's part of the good news that we get to tell you here. That if you're sitting here watching this or if you're watching this online at some point, and uh, even though the, you want to run from God, that you want to hide, you don't want to be confronted by him because you feel guilty, you know you're guilty deep down, there is good news if God was not full of grace and mercy, you would have nothing but judgment. You and I would have nothing but condemnation to expect. And by what he owes us, that's all he owes us. But God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. And he made a way for our salvation. That Jesus Christ, that God, the God-man came to this world to die on the cross for our sins, to die for your sins. And so that you can go to him with this free offer that he is, he is so willing to accept you as you turn to him in, in repentant faith, believing, trusting in him that he actually is good, that he actually is uh, the treasure that you should be seeking, not all those other things in the world. That he stands ready to, to receive you and to forgive you without any works on your part. Just turning to him in repentant faith trusting that the Son of God died on the cross for your sins, acknowledging that and coming to Him. But Adam and Eve, first of all, they tried shifting the blame. Verses 11 and 12. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This still happens today. When we can't deny our sin, we try shifting the blame. We might try hiding, we might try just denying it. I didn't eat the sand. But when it becomes apparent that that isn't going to work, uh, what we try to do, we do this all the time. We try shifting the blame. It's actually somebody else's fault. Uh, okay, maybe this happened, but it's, it's because of this. You made me do it. This is what happened. It has been said that Adam blamed Eve, that Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> but shifting the blame. Uh, you see so many examples of this. I read one example online about a man who uh, was uh, caught with um, 
let's just say an illegal type of pornography on his computer. And, well, this Florida man, Kenneth Griffin, was charged uh, with 10 counts of possession of, let's just say, illegal pornography after devices, after detectives found more than 1,000 images on his computer. But Griffin alleges he had no knowledge of the illicit images. And he went on to tell the detectives that caught him with the 1,000 images on his computer that, well, my cat uh, would oftentimes, he would, he would go and lay on my keyboard. And uh, it would be after, on several different occasions where my cat was on my keyboard, I'd just find these things on my computer. So he, was, he blamed the cat for his illegal pornography on his computer. Uh, he received 10 counts of possession of this type of pornography. Uh, as far as I understand, the cat was not charged. <laughs> Time back, there was a comedian singer, Anna Russell, and uh, she sang what was called the, uh, the psychiatric folk song. It goes like this. Uh, I won't sing it. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my husband the size. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here's what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer from kleptomania. At three, I had a feeling of ambivalence towards my brothers, so it follows naturally I poisoned all my lovers. But I am happy now. I have learned the lessons that this has taught. Everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. As we do, we pass the blame. And we think of all the ways that we do that in relationships. I mean, you catch yourself with that with your spouse and your family. Something happens. You may be mad you did this instead of owning our faults, owning what we did, and, and confessing, apologizing to other people. You know, within our family, sometimes within our church, at your workplace. You know, being willing to own that. But even more so, being able to own it before the Lord. That, that we do have sins. We do have things that land squarely on us. And we can't just explain it away with all these other different factors. But actually being able to say, my bad. And not in a way that minimizes it, but this is my bad. This is what I did. Or to quote, to quote Led Zeppelin, nobody's fault but mine. And we need to be willing to do that. I think that's, the part, of, that's part of genuine repentance, is owning and acknowledging our sin and what we've done. And we're going to see as we move on to the verses that come that God has the ultimate remedy for this. When we think of blame shifting... And this is part of a, such a common human thing to do, shift the blame to other people. But the reason that you can have hope, the reason you can walk out of here and be saved, it's because the one that knew no sin asked for sin to be shifted to him. That Jesus, the second Adam, that he volunteered, he asked, according to the plan of the, the Trinity from the beginning, for the sins of believers to be transferred, to be shifted to him. And whereas Adam and Eve in the fall, they rebelled against God and they tried to shift the blame to other people. Even Adam tried to shift it to God, the woman that you gave me. 
God, your problem. Jesus is the opposite. The second Adam, the opposite of all this, he never sinned. When tempted, he did not fail. And instead of shifting blame to others, he took it upon himself. And that's why he went to the cross. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let me ask you, are you in the first Adam who rebelled and sinned and tried to hide and shift blame? Or by faith, are you in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who is without sin and invites you in to him that you may share in his righteousness? He who is without sin that went to the cross to absorb and take away your sin. And not just to hide it, but to deal with it, to pay it in full so that it's paid for and that it is gone because the Son of God took your place. I hope that you were able to recognize your sin. Don't run from God. Run to him. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for teaching us here what has happened to humanity. Lord, let us look for all these different avenues of temptation comes to us. But Lord, we acknowledge that we came into this world as sinners. We came into this world with our hearts pointed away from you, Lord God, bearing the consequences and the guilt of, of Adam's sin, and that we sin as well so often, Lord. And so, Lord, let us look to you, to Jesus Christ, who is perfect and who volunteered to have our blame shifted to him so that we can be saved, not by our goodness or any fig leaves that we could do, but because the Son of God died on the cross in our place and clothes us in his righteousness. Lord, may anyone here that does not know you as Savior this way move in their hearts and may they, even before they leave this building, I pray, come to you in genuine saving faith, Lord God. And all of us, may we rejoice in you and treasure you as our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.